it went really, really difficultly. I, I went in to non-monogamy with an arrogance about who I was and what I could handle based on who I thought I was because of all the extreme sports competition and very manly stuff I was doing that, oh, I'm a tough guy. And I was presented with something I thought I could handle and I absolutely could not handle it. it I was totally broken down and I totally crashed and hit rock bottom in this relationship thinking I'm lost. And then I started rebuilding myself. So yeah, it did not go well at the beginning. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from all over the world to hear their personal journeys of self-discovery through the lenses of love, sex, and relationships. Our mission is to show people that they're not alone and to inspire them to embrace their true selves so that together we can open minds and live authentically without shame. We believe everyone's story is powerful and beautiful, yet it's important to remember that everyone does life a little bit differently and that the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we aren't doctors. Please consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 315. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a wonderful interview with Adam. Adam was introduced to non-monogamy over 15 years ago and walks us through his incredible journey. He's someone who embraces adventure, which you'll clearly see throughout all of his life. Yeah, this is, as as Emma said, it's an amazing conversation. And lucky for us, he actually wrote a book about this whole adventure. The book is called Seek the Risk, and he'll talk a little bit more about that. But the book is really a memoir that sort of takes this story today and goes into some deeper places with it, gives a little more detail, but I think we also got some some behind the scenes yes, sneak peeks yes, as well. We so so we're super grateful to Adam for coming on and and for sharing this and for writing the book. I also wanted to say that I think some of the parts in here that I found just really amazing and powerful is how he's taken his his tools that he uses to sort of conquer the world of extreme sports and then adapted them to sort of conquer or at least help him navigate the world of non-monogamy with his partner in, a, in what he then learned was like way over his head. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, yeah. yeah. And, and then also unpacking the, that, that the, the shot at your masculinity to say, I could do all of these things, but, but I'm struggling in this relationship. And so it is a, it is a powerful conversation with some really amazing pragmatic tools and ways to like dig into who we are, to create space to navigate and, and grow. And so just again, thank you, Adam, for coming on, for sharing your story and for the work you do. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Also, we wanted to share that you can find copies of Adam's book on his website, seektherisk.net. You can also find links to his website under the podcast show notes for this episode on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Also, Adam's been super kind and is offering sample chapters or sample chapters of the audiobook to any listeners who email him uh, and inquire about that. So if you'd like samples, just email him and ask. Also, the audiobook is in progress. It's under review and will be available soon in the next few weeks. Yep. And so once again, thank you, Adam. And for anybody who is a premium subscriber, we're going to jump right into the interview now. And for the rest of you, we have a couple of lightning quick announcements about some stuff that we've got coming up. If you're not familiar with the premium subscription, it's a way to skip these announcements up front, jump right into the interview, but don't worry, you still get important dates in the outro. To sign up, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, scroll down on the homepage, and you'll find links right there. 
Next up, we wanted to remind you all that we are starting to do some Ask Us Anything episodes where I partner with Miche from Expansive Connection to answer your questions as a listener. So please send us your questions. You can find that information under the podcast tab of our website as well, how you can send us a question. But the next episode is coming up in just a couple of days this Friday. And so we are super excited to put that out. And we'll be doing this once a month moving forward. Yes. Send us your questions. We also have a virtual meet and greet coming up in December. We just had our November one last week and it was awesome. We had such a great time hanging out with all of you. And if you'd like to join us, you can sign up now on our website for the December 9th virtual meet and greet. We would love to have you there. You can head over to normalizingamonogamy.com, click on the events tab, and you will see how to find out all of the information you could ever want on signing up. Yes. Next up, we wanted to remind you all about our virtual community and our in-person community, which are one and the same, but we get people together in a virtual space in an app called Mighty Networks. There's almost 300 people in there who support each other all day, every day, and we talk about that all the time, but what I wanted to tell you about today was how we're going to take that virtual community and inject a little in-person-ness out of it. So we are doing an in-person retreat. We did this earlier this year in January. We're doing it again in January, but this time we're going to be in Atlanta. So members of our community, which you can become, are all going to just descend upon Atlanta. We've got a fun weekend of community-led and us-led activities. We've got, it's going to be amazing. So please, 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 if you're looking for community, whether it is virtual or in person, head over to our website, again, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the community tab. You can learn more about how to sign up for just five bucks a month, which makes you eligible to come down to Atlanta and meet us in January. Yes. So again, you can find all that information once you join the community or send us an email or a voicemail. We would love to hear from you and we will happily help you out. We would love to see you all virtually and or in person. Last but not least, a quick shout out to our favorite way to get tested for STIs. It is stdcheck.com. You can lose the links under the resources tab of our website and get a discount, making a 10 panel test only $129. stdcheck.com is our favorite way to get tested. It is what we use and it is super fast, simple, discreet, all of the things. So go check it out. And by using the links on that resources page, you also support the podcast and gives us more opportunity to bring more content to you. So thank you very much in advance for doing that. And a quick reminder, reach out to us, send us a voicemail, send us an email. We would love to hear from you. You can find out all of that on the contact tab of our website. And with that, I think we're ready to go talk to Adam. Let's do it. Welcome, Adam, to the podcast. We're really excited and grateful that you are here today. We can't wait to dive in and hear all about your story and who you are. Uh, But we'd love for you to start by just introducing yourself at whatever level you're comfortable with. Sure. My name is Adam. Just Adam is how I go by (laughs) stuff like this. Uh, I grew up in New York City, where I had a rather adventurous life uh, as a kid in the early 80s, or I guess mid-late 80s, and uh, learned early on how much I liked adventure and excitement in my life, and probably would have been categorized as an adrenaline junkie uh, into my uh, into my late teens and early 20s. Uh, I don't know if we still use that term. <laughs> I uh, was highly sexual from a very, very early age. 
recognized that uh, sexuality was an important part of who I was and was always seeking out the fun, wild things in my life. Um, through my 20s, I really got into the extreme, the competitive extreme sports world, uh, where I competed for a while. I had a lot of fun sexual experiences with a lot of really great women. Uh, but it, looking back, it felt so evolved at the time, but it was actually really, you know, we occasionally have a threesome and I was thinking, Ooh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm great. Uh, when I was 35, I met a woman, Jane, who was, I, I call her a female sexuality empowerment activist. And we started, I fell for her. She was just amazing. And she was very clear that she only did relationship, non-monogamous relationships. And I, and non-monogamy in a way that I didn't really even know existed, like fully open. So I got into this relationship with her and my world was really opened up to the eyes of what kink and what, and what non-monogamy was. Uh, and the, what was interesting is that all all these years I had spent in the extreme sports world is what really informed my methodology and kind of being drawn into this world of hers and and uh, that's where I've arrived today as uh, a person who um, sort of made it through a, a wild journey of non monogamy that I just wasn't prepared for how how crazy it got and here I am today yeah <laughs> amazing yeah. how how long ago was that that it sort of kicked off that 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 world opened up to you. Uh, the, the, the whole story starts in 2006, uh, okay. and then in 2009 is when we get together and that's, that's when the, the meat of the story begins. Okay. All right. So, yeah. It's been like over a decade of all yeah. of this. Yeah. Yeah. When, and I'm, and I would love, I mean, I'm excited to dig into it all, but it, it sounds like even though you were sort of, I, I picked up on like, you live a bit intensely, a lot of adventures and, and very relatable in, in that sense. But it sounds like this type of adventure wasn't part of that, even though sex and sexuality and sex positivity were the, I will say, the official non-monogamy wasn't, it sounds like really wasn't part of your sort of worldview at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Um there was a point when I heard the term non-monogamy and I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. I, I remembered, like, I'd never really thought about it. It was just sex and sometimes it was sex with another person in there. Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought through my sexual relationship. So you're, you're absolutely right. I was living very intentionally with a lot of deliberate um, focus on these extreme sports I was doing. And I didn't, was not applying that to my sexual relationships. Okay. And so when, when Jane crashes into your life and it sounds like almost sort of declares, like, if you want to be with me, this is how it's going to be. How, how did that go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, um, we actually probably haven't even mentioned the book. This all came about because I, I, I wrote a book, Seek the Risk, uh, about this journey yeah. uh, with Jane. Um, so initially, it went really, really difficultly. I, I went in to non-monogamy with an arrogance about who I was and what I could handle based on who I thought I was because of all the extreme sports competition and very manly stuff I was doing that, oh, I'm a tough guy. And I was presented with something I thought I could handle and I absolutely could not handle it. it I 
was totally broken down and I totally crashed and hit rock bottom in this relationship thinking I'm lost. And then I started rebuilding myself. So yeah, it did not go well at the beginning. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the honesty that, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. I think is so often missing, which is, you know, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it was a little hard, but you know, we got, it wasn't a big deal, but it sounds like for you, it was like, what? Oh no, no. It was like crash and burn. Yeah. Like. I mean, rock, rock bottom <laughs> yeah. is, a, is a hard place to hit. What yeah. did those early days, I mean, what did it first look like to you? I mean, your first exposure to it. Yeah, sure. And, and what's interesting is my first exposure to this is actually what, uh, prompted the the which prompted me to write an essay which then became the book all those years ago so jane was something of an activist i told you and very uh in social media she was a sex educator so she's very public about her sexuality and and trying to normalize sex mm-hmm. <laughs> like normalizing non-monogamy <laughs> and when we started hanging out i was struck by her. She's brilliant and, and ridiculously attractive and outgoing and fun. And we were starting to get closer. And at one point on a certain social media platform, which I don't like to give a plug for, <laughs> uh, I got an email that said, Jane has listed, she's in an, uh, um, non-monog- or she's in an open relationship with you. Can you confirm you're in an open relationship with Jane? And all of a sudden there was this moment where I had been involved with this woman in like my New York City party nightlife. Uh, but that's not the life I live in. I mm-hmm. live in the real world and I have friends and family and I, my, my social media was mostly a, around those people. Right. And all of a sudden, here was the woman who I had been getting closer to and now publicly stated on the social media platform, we're an item except we're an open item, meaning she still sleeps with other guys. And there was this real dramatic moment for me like, oh, wow, if I can click yes, everyone's going to know. <laughs> yeah. And that was really terrifying to me. Uh, and what's interesting is because it was terrifying, I was kind of drawn to it. Like, oh, there's this is really scary, but it's scary emotionally. So what, what am I trying to protect myself from? Um, I also really liked the relationship. There was a lot of really great things about the relationship, not just the sex, but we did a lot of things together. So I really wanted to be in the relationship. I really wanted her to like me. So I was, I was really drawn to it. And I did say, yes, I'm in an open relationship with her. And then my world turned upside down for, for a couple of months, really. It's like every conversation I had with one of my friends was, so um, I see you're in an open relationship. <laughs> my best friend was like, you let other guys fuck your woman? And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was, it was and right, here we go. Right, right out of the gate. It was yeah. punch you in know, the face. Yeah. You know, in some ways, well, first of all, I want to comment that like, it makes sense that you were kind of drawn to that based on what you just expressed of like adrenaline junkie, always like going after those adventures. And so this was just a different type of adventure. This is an emotional risk that you're taking, mm-hmm. but I can see why it makes sense that you were drawn to it. And in some ways, you kind of just like ripped the bandaid off. Like you, you, this wasn't like a slow talking to people one-on-one, like here and there. It was like, Nope, here I'm just, I'm just going for it. And then see what, like deal with the reactions afterward. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. And the title of the book, Seek the Risk, is about, okay, let's, let's run towards the burning building and see what happens. Uh, yes. what, see what I'm going to learn about myself. 
Yeah. yeah. And I can imagine those conversations weren't always easy. <laughs> no. And I was facing a lot of disapproval from people I, I cared a lot about and who were really important to me. And there was an education period of time for them and me. Yeah. Um, little did I know, though, that those first two months and getting through that, that was literally the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. as far as the journey was. Like, sure, fine, everyone accepted it. Then I actually had to live the realities of it. And right. Well, and, and I'm I'm curious too, Adam, in there. The it sounds like by the time you clicked yes to that on unknown social media network, that <laughs> you had already sort of been living it. You had been you had been in this world for a while, in the partnership for a while. And I'm curious what did not that I mean, rather than putting in a box, like, well, we were swingers or we were poly, like, what did it look like? What did it look like? Sure. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of the, the, the beginning chapters of the book is mm-hmm. that initial sort of connection where we're feeling each other out. And she's getting her PhD at a school outside of New York City. Uh, so during this period of time, uh, after I clicked yes, and we were an item, um, official, she was still living up at school and I was living in New York City. So we would only see each other twice a month for a long weekend, one weekend in the city, one weekend up at, up at her school. So the non-monogamy was a don't ask, don't tell mm-hmm. in that when I wasn't up there at school or she wasn't, she could do whatever she wanted. And, and so could I, mind you. I, I, mm-hmm. It's not like I was living a monogamous existence and she, but I, I had a lot of jealousy around it. So it was just easier for me to ignore it and pretend it wasn't, it didn't exist. And that's, that's how I dealt with it. I, I definitely came from the background of this more bro-ish or you know, toxic masculinity side of things from all the competitive sports I had done where that aggro personality really helps in the competitive side but does not work so well in, in the relationship side. So I, it was just too much for me to handle. And it's like, you do what you – I don't want to know about it. Do it at school and I'll, when I'm, you're in the city and I'm not there if I'm out west. So that's what yeah. it looked like initially. It was when she graduated uh, and got her PhD and moved in with me that that uh, don't ask, don't tell really didn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah, when you live together, it does make it a lot harder. Yeah, yeah, we've heard that too from people where you know they're close with their partner and you you know you come home from work, you come home from being out, and they're like, well, well how was your day? And it's like, okay, I'm faced with either lying or some like you you ha- like there's a whole paradigm shift to to be able to do that and so where did where did that take the the journey for the two of you out of out of don't ask don't tell it sounds like right um yeah (laughs) so i traveled a lot for work and initially so we were talking about moving in together and she's asking me how how are you going to be able to deal with my sex life because i was open i was having some challenges and and i was asked her could you only have extra relationship sex when I'm out of town. And when I'm in town, we can, we'll, we'll have group sex. We'll, we'll go out, we'll play together with other people. But the one-on-one stuff is only when we're not in the same city. And she agreed to that as long as it was temporary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's how we first did it. And that was all well and good, except for the fact that uh, one of her love languages was sharing all her sexual exploits with me. <laughs> so she really, really wanted to tell me about like the gangbang that happened last week when I was out of town, or she really wanted to tell me these things. So 
And she came to me one day and said, look, you're my partner. I want you to know who I am. If, if you don't know who I am, you're not really living with me. It's really important for you to know entirely who I am. And this was terrifying for me. So I, I acquiesced and she began sharing her exploits when I'd be home. The problem was that that was a, she saw those as a way to get closer to me and they would have the effect of pushing me away and they would come at very random times. We'd be having a really romantic dinner together, out together, I'm having the best time. And then she'd just go into this wild story of this great sex she had a few days ago, which would pull her in, but it would send me a million miles away. And that was just getting, that was really challenging for me. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Right. It's the idea, right? That yeah, I can do this, but maybe right. maybe I need a little safety, a little container around it where we're not you know, we're not just sitting down for a movie and it's like, oh, by the way, last night, and you're like, Well, hey, now I'm thinking about that, not not where we're at. Yeah. I, and that's literally a scene from the book that you just described. We were <laughs> in theater. We sat down to theater, this incredible immersive uh theater experience and I noticed a bracelet on her wrist. I was like, oh, that's cool. She's like, oh, yeah, I had a threesome with these two guys two nights ago, and one of them gave it to me. I was like, oh, and then the theater, the lights went down. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, did that just happen? <laughs> so you so you were in it. You got into it, and it wasn't like, hey, we're going to tiptoe in. Like, you were, you were, you dove in. You, in some ways, maybe even got pulled in, but it sounds like this was also seek the risk. Really? Willingly pulled in, yeah. Yeah, that's I like like to say I was. It, it was absolutely seeking the risk, and it, it, the seek the risk. The book talks about it. Seek the risk, not the reward. Is the full is the full sentence, but that's too long for a title of a book. Uh, and seeking the risk, not the reward. Sort of, you're going for the the experience. You're going for all the trials and tribulations that will happen along the way to get to the reward. But if you're not seeking the risk, if you're only seeking the reward, then you're not going to sink into all the difficulties and all the friction. And by sinking into the friction and sinking into the experiences, that's where the real growth comes from. And that's where the real reward actually is. Uh, so yes, I was sinking, <laughs> seeking the risk and sinking into this in a way that I was absolutely not prepared for. Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like there and lies the now it's time to either, and this is kind of a harsh phrase, but shit or get off the pot, right? Like I either have to do some serious work here to, to exist in this new world, or maybe I can't be in this world. And yeah, exactly. And those are the conversations I I had with myself. And I was really, I was trying to understand why I was having such a difficult time with it. I thought of myself as this incredible, incredibly tough guy. You know, I, 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 so I, I solo rock climb, I, I base jump, I do, I free dive. I did all these things that I, in my head, I had this masculine view of myself that I was so incredibly tough. And here was this jealousy tearing me down to the point where I, I, I couldn't even function. And I had to know why. I, I just didn't understand it. And after two years, about a year and a half, two years of living together, I was just, I was a mess. I couldn't handle it anymore. And I had this come to Jesus moment with myself on a mountaintop out in Colorado, which I've described in the book. And I decide that I'm going to start thinking about our relationship like an extreme sport. And therefore I need to train certain skills and I need to understand that sometimes I'm going to fail and sometimes I'm, I'm going to succeed and I need to get a plan together if I want to be in this relationship. And so I took all the experience I had for training for extreme sports and decided to apply it 
to extreme non-monogamy. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, that's like I was skimming through your book, and that happened to be some of the pages that I read. And so I, I love that you bring that up. I happened to, to come across that. Yeah, that's the E and E and M is extreme non-monogamy. Extreme. <laughs> so what did it can feel extreme? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yes, like to pretty. I mean, yeah, that's I'm sure relatable to everyone listening. Of like, it you have those days where this is extreme. Like this is yeah. insane. What am I doing? Extreme relationship. The the only thing that I mean, there's a couple things that kept me going. One, I had incredibly deep respect for for her as, as a as a person. Just she was out there flying her freak flag and not caring what anyone thought and 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 being an example. And, and that was great. But also I knew that this journey was going to change me profoundly. I knew I no matter what happened with this relationship, I knew I was going to come out a better version of myself because I was learning things that I never even knew about knew yeah. about before. Uh, so that's part of the reason why I kept, even in the face of all this pain and anguish, I kept going because I felt this, this, this is a good thing for me in the end. It's going to be good. I'm going to learn so much. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and so what did that, you come down from the mountain and now you're on a new training regimen. What does it look like? Right. It's something that you just said a second ago, actually, about the container, right? Mm -hmm. The first thing I was like, Okay, let me think about it like climbing. My my climbing partner and I, we would always, when you're out in an adventure and you're on the edge and you're on a big wall and you're going up some mountain, you you never sort of randomly discuss conflict or anything hard. You wait until you're done with the adventure in a safe, contained space, and then you sit down and you have your back and forth, things you like, things you didn't like that your partner did. And so I thought, well, I need to start applying that kind of tactic to this relationship. She loves sharing with me. But she just she shares haphazardly, and I'm never ready for it. So I thought the first thing we're going to do is we're going to containerize it. We're going to do it on the second night I get home after my trips. That night we're going to have dinner together. We're gonna and she's going to share all her exploits all in one go. She's going to get them out. I'm going to listen. The, the it's all contained in one place. I can process, and then I will make sure I have space to process. She gets to see me making an effort and hearing who she was. Uh, it was a win-win for everyone. So that was that was the first step. And how did it go? Yeah, like, did, did it actually pan <laughs> out that way? Yeah, it worked remarkably well. Um, yeah. uh, it it wasn't any easier to hear her stories, but it when it was over, I knew I wasn't going to hear another story for the rest of our two three weeks while I was home between my business trips. So that I just got incredibly relaxed. And we started, it, it, it lifted this, this sort of cloud over our time together that had been there, which I didn't even realize how, how hard that was taking me down and probably her too. So that was the first thing it did. It was no easier to hear. But then I gave myself time every evening after story hour mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to process and think about it and, and, and be okay with it rather at some random dinner or theater or wherever it happened. And that is, and once I relieved that, that cloud, that sort of allowed me to start taking to the next step and start sinking in a bit more. Mm -hmm. Totally, right? Because now, now you have weeks at a time where you're not bracing for a, a surprise at? attack, right? And not that she was ever trying to attack you, but Never was. they feel that way, right? You're like some random information just pops into the head and out the mouth and like how we do this to each other mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And and you you have to like catch it and be like, no, no, now is not the time to say that thing that could, right? But 
it's so easy to do so. I, I mean, I love this strategy. I think mm-hmm. it's brilliant, and I'm yeah. glad you shared it. And that it that it's that it worked, and it did it make it easier to hear it. No, but you could prep before that conversation. You could go right. for a walk or whatever, and you could come down from it after and know that it wasn't going to like spring up a day later or a week later. I think it's great. Yeah, and it what it also did is allowed me to sort of get calm with that mm-hmm. level. Like, okay, now yeah. once I got myself, you know, a month or two of just like that, and then I thought, okay, well, let's let's take it to now. Now I'm still how can I get to the point where I'm actually enjoying the story? How can mm-hmm. I be a participant in story hour with her, not just, okay, you know, punch me again, punch me again, punch me again, and then I'll go recover from the punches. And I started trying to figure out how I could become more involved and more excited to hear her stories. And I actually started using uh, all these um, all these tricks I do with my mind when I'm free soloing, rock climbing, because if you fall, it's not a good thing. So you're you <laughs> without a rope. Yeah. Uh, so when, when the death spiral of fear happens, when you're out on the edge, you sort of need to reframe the experiences and, and see them in the, and see them in a different light to sort of bring your heart rate down and bring your focus and get calm and get happy. And I thought, you know, why don't, this is sort of like an emotional free solo. Every time I'm hearing her stories, it's the same thing. I'm out there on the edge. It's scary, but how can I reframe what's going on here in order to, to make it more palpable to the point where maybe I could even enjoy it? Um, and so I started going through these, all these climbing tricks in my head to try and get more engaged and, and started convincing myself, I'm actually having an enjoyable time here. Look how, look at this incredible woman I'm with. Look at this incredible life I have with this person. She's telling me stories. I'm oversimplifying now in the Mm -hmm. book, I go deeper, but I, I kept, I kept on this path of using all my extreme sports experience to sort of come at this from that very calculating way. And it, it, it was working wonders. <laughs> it took a lot of time, but I mean, the, the book spans a seven year period, but that's, that's how I took it to, to the next step. Yeah. And what did that joy start to look like for you? Like, wh- were you able to drop in and, and enjoy it in a new way? Eventually I was, it was, it was, it was quite, at first I started like kind of distract, trying to just distract myself. Like, don't, mm-hmm. don't look over here. Look over here. Right. You're kind of trying to, trying to dodge landmines instead of actually facing them head on. But, but that's what it takes. You have to get comfortable mm-hmm. with things. And then once you're comfortable, then maybe you have a little extra bandwidth to sort of address where the issues are coming from. As I get deeper into the story, when there, there's an event in the, in the book and I don't want to give it away, but hmm. There's an event in the book that I had a tremendous amount of difficulty with, and it's after I've we've now I've been using all my new strategies and I've been we've been sinking and getting closer, and then something happens that my strategies and everything I was doing was no longer working. It absolutely did not work to get through what was happening, and it's really intense. And I devoted an entire chapter to this, and that's the chapter where I instead of using just all the strategies to allow myself to engage with her, I decided, okay, I need to figure out why I need to use these strategies. Where are my emotions actually coming from? So what the strategies did was it got me to a place where I actually could see the emotions for what they were mm-hmm. and start, you know, the hood, the, the, the hoods up on the car, dive in and, and take a look. And that's when the real, the real growth happened. When I finally allowed myself to admit 
that a lot of these feelings were stemming from things that had nothing to do with sex or relationships or Jane. They were stuff that I had been carrying with me my whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which <laughs> is what happens, right? Like that's right. we carry that stuff with us throughout our whole lives, but it takes that work to dive down and figure out where they're coming from and then to think okay once you figure that out then what's next (laughs) exactly it's like it's always a process i I realized my whole life i'd been fighting against this image i had of myself as still this really tiny redheaded geeky kid that got teased and pushed around on the playground and i was always fighting against that and i was always fearful that that's who i was and so much of my uh, jealousy and the problems I had with monogamy stemmed from stuff from my childhood, and it was it was incredibly eye opening to finally sort of admit that and to see how it had been affecting uh, my life in the relationship. <laughs> non monogamy is a sharp knife. If you want to cut through <laughs> tough mm-hmm. skin, it is it is amazing. It can expose some serious tough things in your psyche. Yeah, it is no joke, and I, I love that you say that in the. The, the the arc you just kind of described, I think, is one that, that doesn't get the love it should, which is you know, people say, well, you're just you're you're masking, right? You're treating the symptoms. You're you come up with strategies so you can grit and get through it. And sure, maybe, but what that allows you to do then is to create the safety, create the bandwidth, create the free energy to say, okay, my shit's safe enough now. <laughs> what what's causing the what's causing the fear, what's causing the unsafety, the the insecurities to pop up. But you can't you can't do that when you're just like firefighting all day long. Exactly. You can't go and look, well, where's the damn fire coming from? You're just like put it out, put it out, put it out, put it out. And when you when you're able to get the strategies in place to say, okay, fires are out. I've been able to breathe for five minutes. Let's figure out why where these fires keep coming from. And I think that is we don't know that experience no. at all, right? Not like, at all. no, not yeah. at all. <laughs> uh, someone I know read the book, and and um, the of course someone I know read the book, but the, her response to me was, "This was amazing. You set out to learn how to love her, and what you ended up doing was learning how to love yourself." Yeah, and I was like, "Yeah, I mean, that's what that is. Literally, what the book is is yeah. is learning how to love myself." And and it is, I think, non-monogamy, to your point, it's a, it's a sharp knife. And we've seen this, right, for us, it has sliced us both open to say, what what is our own stuff, right? We keep butting up against each other in various ways for, you know, over a decade of doing this. And, and it's been up and down and up and then we're going, okay, well, there's something, it's, yeah, there's our relational ecosystem, but there's our individuals and there's stuff that we were just never going to look at if we hadn't done this. And I don't think non-monogamy is the only knife that can get you there, but it's definitely one. And it, and it will, it will take off all of the facade and strip you down and say, here's, here's your shit. And oh yeah, it's, and it's real. (laughs) Yeah. And one other thing I'd like to say about the non-monogamy is the book is, is, is neither um, a celebration nor a cautionary tale. It's, it's purely just, here's an experience I had and mm-hmm. these are the choices I made and here's what I learned. Yeah. Um, as I, someone else said, this is a self-help book described as an erotic novel and non-monogamy guidebook. 
<laughs> which is an which is an amazing web to weave. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. But it's it's a testament to the power of like yeah that what you went through was your own choices, was your own decision making, but yeah. it allowed like the process allowed you to, as you said, fall in love with yourself and learn yourself. And I think that's that's absolutely beautiful. As as much as like going back and you could tell, I wish you could tell your previous self that right right yeah <laughs> like how hard it was like just hang in there just keep going just keep going keep fighting yeah well I'm, I'm curious adam did you similar to your mountaintop epiphany now you're looking at a new sort of thing which is yeah all my own shit how did you approach that the the healing of the you know the kid on the playground Right. Um, and there's a, there's a chat, the, I think it's chapter seven in the book is called Fight Club, where I'm actually, I call it Fight Club because as you know, in the movie Fight Club, there actually is no Tyler Durden. He was fighting himself the whole time. So in this chapter is when I really have the epiphany, oh, it's really me that I'm fighting. And so once I realized that and I realized where all, so much of my fear about the non-monogamy was coming from, I started, a lot of it was imposter syndrome, a lot of I'm not good enough. What was unique about this relationship for me was it was the first time in my adult life that I had been the sexual neophyte uh, in, in a relationship. And that was, a, that was a, first that was scary for me, right? We have a conversation, in, I think it's chapter three, when we're on a, we, we're on a beach together and we're chatting and, and, um, she asked me how many people I've slept with. And I said, oh, around 100. And she said, oh, that's cute. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how many people have you slept with? And and uh, she's like, about 500. And I was like, wow, okay. And I was, and plus the things that she had done sexually was, were, were so far beyond what I had ever had any even knowledge about. So there was this I always felt like I felt like I had to prove myself. Oh, she's going to leave because she's going to find someone better than me at sex or a better match for her and such. So a lot of that stemmed from the childhood stuff, this negative outcome fantasy that uh, certainly I do. And I'm I'm sure a lot of us do that as humans where we, we think of the worst possible outcome and then we focus like, oh, that's what's going to happen. And so that was driving a, 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 a lot of my behavior. And in the Fight Club chapter, when I finally start realizing that, I started on a path of really taking a look at my life and looking hard at all the data that showed that that absolutely was not true. I was basing so much of my life on stuff that may or may not have happened to me as a six-year-old on a playground, right? And so, and that's an ongoing thing. I It's not like I beat it, but now I've learned how to minimize the impact when the death spiral of fear starts happening in me and I do start going to that negative outcome fantasy. I have, no, I am, I am this great person. I am this, I am that. There's, it's almost like a mantra that, so that's, that's kind of where I ended up. I wouldn't say I fixed it, Mm -hmm. but I've started to move towards a better place in regards to it. Well, shit, even recognizing it is more than so many of us ever do. Right. And so to say, well, I didn't, I didn't fix it. Like, Damn it, at least you knew it existed. I think that's that's a huge step. Well, and I think that like part of this, we're all growing and learning throughout our whole lives. Like mm-hmm. there's not you can work through something and heal heal parts of yourself, but fixing things is like 
that's not realistic. Like, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, you're absolutely right. Like, I still have all those thoughts. I just don't let them impact me anymore. Yeah. Like, I, I looked at the monster under the bed, and I finally realized it was just a pile of dirty clothes. Yeah. Uh, but I still but get scared still by scary. this. Yeah. I still get scared. <laughs> but yeah. they're just clothes. Yeah. I'm scared. It's just a pile of dirty clothes. Yeah. Uh, and I, it, it, I think it's chapter 9 or 10 in the book is called Hitting My Stride, when I kind of have moved through all these processes. I've applied all my sports, whatever, to the non-monogamy, and I've gotten through all these things, and I've done this transformation, which took takes about four years. And there's the Hitting My Stride chapter where I have now blossomed, and now I'm okay with so much of our lifestyle and her lifestyle, and I start living at a level I never even knew possible in terms of the crazy wild adventures we had together, sexual and non-sexual. And we were just so connected and so in tune. And it was, it was such an awakening to be able to let go of the things that have been holding me back in this relationship, in, in the non-monogamy. Then the non-monogamous relationship became one of the most rewarding things I'd ever, I'd ever done. I love that. And what did what did that that stride look like for you? I mean, you don't obviously have to go into all of the gory details of it. But I'm, like, is, were you out, were you able to start like dating and having some of your own adventures in this? Sure. Now, I want to be clear. Throughout this entire process, I was having my own sexual exploits, which yeah. of course I was totally fine with. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't fine Funny with. how that works, right? Funny how that works. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of discussion around that in the book, and there's a lot of reframing. I'm like, well, flip it. You just had sex with. This other this other woman uh, last week, you had a good time. She's supportive of that. Why are you upset by her being um, by her being herself? Mm-hmm. So yes, throughout the entire process, I am also enjoying myself, which which created this incredible conflict in my brain because I recognized how hypocritical my emotions were being, and I thought, well, if my emotions are being hypocritical, then obviously they're not valid, and I have to figure out where they're coming from and why. So. Uh, so nothing on my end changed in terms of the sex I was having outside of our relationship, but the sex we were having together in our relationship with other people in group sex and sex parties and taking and taking sex tourism trips. And there's this one story in the book, uh, a couple invites us down to New Orleans for a long weekend where they have, they, they have this renovated mansion and, and they throw sex parties there. And we go have this amazing uh, weekend in New Orleans and just touring the city and having a great time and have just this wild, crazy fun night at this party. And, and one night she and I are just up on the roof watching an electrical storm. Uh, it just life got fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And so that lasted, <laughs> that last, <laughs> I have a feeling there's more coming here. So, so, so life was fantastic. You found your stride, your mm-hmm. relationship was feeling good. You were really connecting. You were both seeing other people out. Like, I, and I guess maybe I should clarify, like throughout this whole thing, what you've been describing is more like more sexual relationships outside of each other, not as intense romantic relationship? Or Absolutely. Maybe some, okay. No, you're, you're 100% right. We Neither of us consider ourselves poly at all. Uh, we consider ourselves emotionally monogamous uh, and uh, sexually open. Um, whatever. I'm not sure what that's. I think people yeah, no, that. you can define open it however you want to define it. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I would not, I would not have been interested in being in a relationship that had multiple uh, loves. And I was just 
that's I God, who has time for more than I barely have time for one lover. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like emotional lover, could, uh, but that wasn't that wasn't either of our foci. So I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> well, I, I no, you, you clarified my okay. clarified the point I was trying to make, right. and then I was going to expand. It's so like you said you found your stride. You were finding like what right. worked really both for both of you, and. I feel like there's a cliffhanger here. And then what happens? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, good. Um, there was. So what was interesting about the whole journey where I learned to love myself and recognize, I, I, when I got into the relationship, I was totally infatuated with Jane. Uh, I, I mean, I I cared a lot and she was amazing, but I also very much was infatuated with her. She was like a magical sex fairy at, at, at some level. Um, but once I went through this journey and I was able to grow personally and become someone who could exist in this non-monogamous relationship, I actually started being able to see the things in the relationship I didn't like. I wasn't, I always wasn't firefighting anymore. I wasn't, I wasn't in this constant state of, oh, I'm not good enough. Now I was in this really strong state and being this active partner in this great partnership. And that's when I started noticing there were pieces about this relationship that I that I didn't like. I, I actually didn't like. Not that there was something wrong with me for not liking them, like the jealousy, but there's actually things about it I, that didn't work for me. And those cracks, once everything else got good, those cracks became more apparent. And in the end, we did we did end up separate end up separating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but from it sounds like from a place of intentionality, not fuck this, it's too much, just blow it up because we, but like you, you did, you did the the work, the quote unquote work to, to I, really investigate it. I, I did the work and it's interesting that you brought up um, the, uh, the, the polyamory and the, the emotional, you know, multiple emotional connections because what I realized is that I wasn't getting enough of an emotional connection from Jane. And so what ended up happening is one of someone who I was hooking up with started giving me the emotional connection that I was really desiring. And I hadn't even realized how much I was missing that, that love until all of a sudden I had it. And then that's when the difficulty started. I was starting to, then I actually got into a polyamorous situation where I was involved with two different women in two different cities, uh, two very different women in two very different cities. And it, it ended up just wrecking me, uh, unfortunately. And so that was, that was the beginning of, of the end. It was too hard to try to, like, you were trying to show up with Jane and be in that relationship and mm-hmm. also recognize, like, oh, I'm getting something here that I'm missing here. But it was it was all, for you, it was too much to manage both of them. It was too much. And it was too much for the other woman. Her name, in the in the mm-hmm. book, her name is Bobby. The entire book is written anonymously. I, I, I'm i just Adam. I don't even, may or may not be my real name. <laughs> Jane is not. <laughs> all the names are changed in the book. Uh, this woman, Bobby, was just incredible and wonderful. But she was brand new to this idea of non-monogamy and and all of a sudden I was back being the really experienced one and she was a novice and it was really tough um and I didn't I didn't do it very well uh and in the end that relationship fell apart as well as my relationship with Jane yeah I just really appreciate I mean everything you shared today Adam and like not just surface level but you've you're clearly somebody who takes things and looks at them closely and introspectively and tries to really figure out what's going on. And I, that's, I mean, I think that's a gift to be able to do. And I'm just grateful for that. And I'm, I'm curious, like having gone through all of this and reflected on it. And I mean, you've written a book that's no, no small feat. Where, where do you see yourself taking 
sort of relationships in the future? Is non-monogamy and swinging or... Well, and maybe where are you now Yeah, and where you're taking it in the future? Sure. Um, So I like (laughs) non-monogamy. I definitely like it. I, I would like to be... I'm currently single. I have had friends over the past two years. I had a definitely had a, uh, um, a pandemic girlfriend <laughs> uh, and that was non-monogamous um, as much as it could be during the pandemic. I, uh, I'm, I don't have a really good answer. Uh, people have said to me, are, are you ever going to do that level of non-monogamy again? And I said, I don't know. It's, it's unclear to me whether that level of non-monogamy failed because I don't want to do that level of non-monogamy or it failed because I didn't get the intimacy that I was needing. And if I had got the intimacy I was needing, would I do it again? I, I don't really know. I'm keeping my options open. I'm, I'm not going to box myself in. And I'm, I, 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 yeah, I, I just want to experience more cool stuff and with more cool people. <laughs> well, and I'm curious then in the, the framing of it failing. And I think this is one thing that I just, we, we hear, right, the, the relationship doesn't because it ends doesn't necessarily mean it failed and i'm curious like do you do you view this seven year window ish of time of intense personal growth intense adventure pushing yourself i mean that seems like your jam does that did it does it come out the other side feeling like a failure for you not at all and if i used the term failure i i, I didn't mean to imply that the relationship was a failure but in the end it, it did it failed, right? It, sure, uh, it didn't continue. Yeah, it right. didn't continue, and yeah, yeah. I, and I did fail with Bobby. I, I didn't. I, that was a failure. Um, but no, I, I I look at this relationship with Jane as being one of the most pivotal things in my life, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, and I've done a lot of hard things. So, mm-hmm. uh, it, it no, it feels very. Uh, it, it feels incredibly satisfying to have gone through it. Jane and I are still very close friends. Um, she helped enormously with the writing of the book uh, in terms of giving me feedback on things I'd written. I've gained a best friend out of it. Uh, and yeah, I, I, she once asked me during a, during a particular ugly point when we were sort of blowing apart at the very end, she said, do you wish you'd never met me? And I was like, are you kidding? Like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't traded this for anything in the world. This is the most amazing time. The eight, you know, eight years really, I guess eight years that we did this together was incredible. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't intended to write a book. I, that, that was just an accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that, that you've transitioned to a friendship and write it probably, it sounds like and I think a lot of times, right, maybe people end at friendship eventually, but maybe there's a gap where time to heal and recover mm-hmm. and that's okay, right? It, yeah, but the, the, you are still in each other's worlds and, and you don't have to go through. I mean, I mean, shit, this was like you just said, this was like the most pivotal moment in your whole life and you shared it with another human. And then to have to say, well, you're no longer part of my life, human. Like that's hard. That's a hard shift. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I, I, from what I've seen, non-monogamy, non-monogamous relationships seem to transition to that friendship a lot easier than, than the monogamous ones. Um, and maybe that's because they end for different reasons. I, I don't know. You know, so many monogamous relationships end because someone betrayed somewhere else and not, and non-monogamous, non-monogamous relationships or, and I'm overgeneralizing. I get that, but I see a lot of them. Uh, uh, end because people transition to something else. They're just, they're moving on or, or whatever. It, it's so, is that, is that 
a generalization? Yes. Is it always true? No, but it seems to be. It seems to have some correlation there. I, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there might be. I don't know. I don't know yeah. the answer to that question either, but I, I could see why. Like, because there's it's a different, it's maybe a different level of communication that, that, you might have. Yeah, you're probably right. I think it's that not hopefully non I, I would say generally non-monogamous couples have better communication than monogamous couples. Doesn't mean all or one, but the, I'm just saying there's probably general, the average general. the average yeah. is probably a little higher because it has to be. I was like you kind of uh, have to. Like you yeah. ha- you don't have an option. <laughs> well, I think too, right? You you are looking at things through a different lens. You you know, you don't go, "Well, shit, it was hard. I quit." Or, oh, she had, you know, had sex with seven guys last week. I quit. It was, what is the reframe? How do I do this? How do I, how do I do this in a way that works for my life? And to come to the quote unquote end of a partnership and say, well, shit, everybody says what you're supposed to do is never talk to each other again, drag each other through the mud and say, fuck off. But I don't want to do that. I want to do something different. And that takes pushing against a whole lot of norms that, that, you pushed against for almost a decade together. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> that is amazing. I'm, I'm curious too, in all of this, how, how open and out were that's, the two of you? That's like, what I was going to ask too. Like you had your Facebook yeah. <laughs> thing at the beginning and then, and then what? Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is sort of a big part of the book too. So she was something of an activist and a sex educator. Uh, and she taught at a, uh, university and and she had an online uh, uh, sex education and she had a blog and this blog she would describe in detail a lot of her sexual exploits some which included her husband me and some that did not <laughs> and so we were about as out and open about as public as you could possibly imagine my employees could read things that she was writing my friends my parents it was it was kind of nuts and I, there's one of the cha- i think it's chapter 10 is about pride and i had just even once i got to hitting my stride there still was then she started this blog and then i had to go through this whole thing of wow okay now we're getting blasted out for the world to see and people would call me a cuck and we would say all kinds of crazy things and she would there was a moment when she divulged something about our sites at one point she talks about pegging me on on uh on her blog and i was just like whoa not okay <laughs> absolutely not okay she's like why, why not and it was this real like totally oh my god no that's not i i'm I'm masculine. I that I can't I can't let people know that about me. It was this real kind of crazy stuff that happened in my uh, uh, happened in my brain over, and the the whole chapter goes into this first a dealing with all these cuckolding uh, comments about me and trying to understand that, and then going into this oh my god no I I I I'm not comfortable with the world knowing certain things about me, um, and we actually had a big blow up about that. Um, in, in the book, I mean, in real life and in the book. So yeah, we were about as, oh, it, in fact, I, what's funny, my parents aren't really on social media. And then at one point in the hitting my stride chapter, I go to my parents, I'm like, cause they're getting old and I kind of wanted them to know who I was. And I, so I sat down and said, look, I, I need to tell you that, um, Jane and I, we, our, our marriage has been an open marriage. Uh, and that's who we, 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 we don't practice monogamy. My parents looked at me and they were like, yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> We're not stupid. 
<laughs> we like, subscribe to our blog. Of course we know. We know everything. <laughs> well, they weren't, I couldn't have, it's like, they weren't on social media, so I figured they didn't know. But yeah, everybody knew. Everybody yeah. Yeah, became a thing. Uh, and what was really interesting was seeing the growth of my friends, uh, too. Uh, someone who very early on was so judgy and so negative um, about the choices I had made to be with Jane and who wanted to be non, non-monogamous. Years, you know, seven, eight, nine years later, uh, we were on our way to a climbing adventure. And he admitted to me, he says, you know, I, I, really, I really would like to have sex with other women, but I could not handle his wife having sex with her men. He's like, I absolutely couldn't do it. And then he looked at me and he said, you're a far stronger man than I am. And that was an incredible journey because he had fished and be like, oh, you're a weak man. You let, you let your woman have sex with other men. And he, he made this transition to, wow, you are so much stronger than me. It was, it was really, I was like, yeah, I am pretty strong. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and, and that he's able to like go on that journey like is amazing too. And in his own way, you know, who knows what might happen in the future for him. But like the, knows, the yeah. fact that he was, you know, it, it is all a journey. We're all on this path in our own, you know, in our own trajectory. And um, yeah. That's and, and, and that's, I mean, that's to credit Jane, that's her MO. It's like, mm-hmm. I am public. I push this idea that sexual openness is okay if you want to do it. And, well, she was right. A number of my friends have transitioned now to non-monogamous. A number of my male friends have transitioned to non-monogamous uh, relationships. And in, in, in the book, there's a small story of one of my climbing, another one of my climbing buddies. I introduce him to one of our sex party playmates. Uh, and he's sort of this monogamous guy. And she's this total self-described super slut. And she's out visiting me in Colorado. And I introduce them. And I thought they just have a fun weekend having sex. Five years later, they're still together. And he <laughs> has become this total sex party gay. He sets up gangbangs for it. <laughs> he made this total transition uh, in his life. It's, it's, it, was, it was wild to see. Huh. That's awesome. You you have lived quite the life, Adam. I, I I love it, and and to be able to to share it with, I mean, again, sometimes it sounds like maybe it was a little more than you wanted to share, but yeah. nevertheless, to be able to show the world that this is a way to live and what the experiences you can have, the self growth that that comes along with it, and the challenges, like the. The beauty and the hard, mm-hmm. and and to bring them all together, I think is is really really powerful. So I'm grateful for you reaching out to us and for you writing the book. Yes, yes. I, I'm curious um, if people want to buy the book. What's the best way to find it? And we will include links in the show notes. Sure. Um, I, I'm going to before I tell you that I'm going to give a little plug about mm-hmm. uh, about the book. Um, I, I'd never written anything before, and this I, I won't go into the details of how I ended up starting to write it, but um, uh, it took about two and a half years, and about halfway through, I got really stuck, uh, and I didn't know uh, how to go on, and I, I hired a writing co- Well, I had a friend who saw my struggles, and she had a friend who was a writing coach, um, and she hooked me up and he, he read what I had written and it was just like, wow, what an amazing story. I can, I can help you tell it a lot better. And he, he, ba- he, he didn't do it to me for free, but he gave me a great deal. So I want to give him a plug. It's, his name is Brad Wetzler. And if anyone is ever thinking of writing a memoir or, or any kind of writing, he is just an amazing writing coach. So I, I just wanted to give him bradwetzler.com and you can 
find it through me. But if you want to find me, uh, the website is seektherisk.net. Um, and there you can buy the book. It's, it's on Amazon too, and basically just a link, but uh, the website has, um, some other information about me and information about the book. And, and hopefully I'll have the audio book out in another, another week or two. If you'd like to send me a, an email, you can reach me at adam at seektherisk.net. If you want to sort of take a quick little sample of the book or something, send me an email, tell me a little about yourself, and I'll, I can send you a PDF of maybe a few chapters if you, want to, if you want to check it out. And yeah, I'd love to hear from you. I love hearing from people. I've been getting so many emails from people who have read it, and I, I, love, I love talking to people about it. So uh, that's how you'd reach me, seektherisk.net. Awesome. Yeah, and links will be in the show notes. And yeah, just a t- a, again, a ton of gratitude, Adam, for, I mean, for one, for living the life that you did and do and and for being willing to share it in detail and, cause I, and not just gloss over the hard shit and be like, oh, yeah, my life was amazing. And you do the Instagram moments on top of the mountain and, you know, at the orgies and all the shit, but not like swimming in the trenches of it all. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people have thanked me, actually. They're like, thank you. I had no idea. I thought I was the only one going through this stuff. I was like, no, non-monogamy can be really freaking hard. <laughs> yeah, relationship, relationships can be hard, and then yeah. you throw in non-monogamy, it's another layer. You know, yeah. relationships are hard. Monogamous ones, non-monogamous ones, just choose which problems you want to have. Yes. <laughs> totally. Yes, that's a very valid point. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Is before we let you go, uh, was there anything else that you wanted to get out there or say? No, I was, I think I I love if people uh, read the book, uh, and I'd love to hear. I love hearing feedback about the book and such. So yeah, that's uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for interviewing me. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> thanks for giving me a voice. Always, yeah. always. Well, we are happy to do it, and. We'll let you have a fantastic rest of your yeah, afternoon. Yeah, thank you so much for all of your work and everything you shared too. And um, we hope our paths cross again in the very near future. Excellent. Me too. And we're back. A huge thank you to Adam for coming on and sharing your story and all of the vulnerability in everything that you shared. And thank you for writing your book as well. We're excited to spread the word, send more people your way. And also a quick reminder, you can find links to Adam's book on, on his website, seektherisk.net. Links to his website are also available on the podcast show notes for this episode. Yeah, I'm excited to actually dig in and read the book more because I know we got we got some things that weren't in the book, but I also know there's a lot of stuff in the book that we didn't get. And this story was fucking crazy and yes. wild and I loved it. And I'm so excited to dig in more and yeah, I'm just excited to be able to get it out there. And yeah, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Also Adam. a quick reminder that Adam's been so kind to offer all of list all, anybody who's listening, a free copy of some sample chapters of the, either the actual physical book or of the audiobook. So if you're interested in that, just send him an email and um, you can ask. So thank you, Adam. And with that, just a couple of quick reminders. In just a few days, we will see you for the Ask Us Anything episode. That'll be coming out on Friday. You don't need to do anything other than open, open your podcast app on Friday and listen. And we've got a virtual meet and greet coming up on December 9th. You know how to sign up for those under the events tab. And we've got our in-person community retreat coming up in January in Atlanta. So if you would like to get in on that party and you're a member of the community, well, it's time to open your app back up and go learn about it. And if you're not a member of our community, it's time to become one. 
now is the best time. Mm-hmm. Yes, the so best time ever. The, every time is the best time ever. <laughs> So head over to our website, click on the community tab. We would love to have you join us. We'd love to meet you in person in Atlanta. And with that, we will let you go. We've got an amazing interview coming up next week. We got to say next week. We we do. Next week, we are talking to Beth and Mark. We are excited about getting this interview out there. So come back in one week and listen again. But until then, we'll see you on Friday for that Ask Us Anything. Exactly. All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.